Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Boat Building 101. It's pastor reverting to a former career. Well, actually, no, I have biblical warrant for this. The ancient firm of Noah and Sons Shipwrights, right? right? But we're not going to be building with gopher wood and pitch. I remind you of what St. Peter wrote in his first epistle. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Luther picked up on that text and incorporated it into his baptismal service in what we now know as the, the flood prayer, in which we pray, grant that he or she be kept safe and secure in the holy ark of the Christian church. This image, I want to say, of the church as the ark is more than just a figure of speech. It's incorporated into Christian art and our symbology. It was common among the church fathers. Augustine, for example, writes, let us recognize that the ark prefigured the church. Let us be the clean beasts in it. Yet let us not refuse to allow the unclean ones to be carried in it with us until the end of the deluge. I'd like to use this as a framework, this boat building idea, to fill in and to fill up our text from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, specifically what Paul has to say in verse 14. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others. So this morning, five words about boat building. First word, keel the center line structure of the boat. After all the preliminaries are done, after lofting, that's drawing the boat out full size on the floor, setting up the building place, the cradle on which it will be built, gathering materials, shaping the pieces either on the bench or the floor, depending upon how big they are. After all the preliminaries, the first piece and pieces laid down are the keel. It's the heart and soul of the boat. No matter what happens to it, around it, against it. The top sides can be staved in up against the dock. The transom can be burned up in a fire. Rotten frames from poor maintenance. You can repair, replace, refurbish. As long as the keel is intact, it's still the boat. By the name by which it was christened. The name of the ark, which is the church, is Christ. He is the keel the centerline structure, the heart and soul of the ark. Hence, Paul would write earlier in our letter, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It would seem obvious, right? But all too often and too easily, we want to move beyond the keel, beyond Christ, to something that's bigger or better or more important or more timely. I recall a, a chance meeting in a harbor in Door County, Wisconsin. That Door County is the thumb on the Wisconsin mitten. Right? A boat building partner and I saw a Concordia yawl. I realize that's nothing to you, but there was a very famous series of boats began in 1938. They were built for about 40 years. They were elegant things. But we talked our way onto the boat, and uh, Pretty soon, with the owner, we're upside down in a bilge examining floor timbers and keel. The owner's wife sticks her head in the companionway and says, I never understand it. They always end up looking in the basement. Christ, 
Christ alone is the keel, the backbone of the church. The ark of the church will founder immediately if we forget that. But back to the boatyard and the second word, actually two words, molds and ribbons, not ribbon, R-I-B-B-O-N, R-I-B-B-A-N-D-S, ribbons. The molds is why we lofted, drew out the lines of the boat full size. We need to know exactly the cross-sectional shape of the boat at every station. Imagine thick slices out of a loaf of French bread. Okay, you got this picture? Big French bread and you're gonna cut it off in like three inch chunks, right? The molds are temporary patterns for each slice down the length of the bread, or each slice down the length of the boat. These are stood up on top of the keel at their proper spacing at their station. And they're braced in place so they're checked for be square and plumb. And then the ribbons are run horizontally, connecting all the molds. Again, temporary pieces of wood from stem to stern, each one six to 10 inches from the top of the mold all the way down to the keel. What we've done is we've defined the shape of the hull. You can now see the three-dimensional shape of what will be the boat. And the inside surface of the ribbons is the intersection between the frames and the planking, but that's, that's getting ahead of ourselves. What are the molds and the ribbons of the Ark of the Church? I would suggest that they are the gifts of the Spirit. It is the Spirit who shapes and defines what the church will look like at any particular time in any particular place. In our reading for two weeks ago, Paul listed some of them, though not all of them, utterances of speech and knowledge, uh, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, and tongues. The latter two is the source of the division that causes this whole section to be written. Elsewhere in his letter to the Romans and the Ephesians, he lists others. Service, teaching, exhortation, leadership, mercy. But a word of caution here. We all have been gifted by the Spirit. In baptism, we all received the gift of faith, the gift of eternal life. By it, we were ushered into the ark of the church. Our passage through this life has been made fast. But to return to the molds and the ribbons, they define the shape of the hull. So the Spirit, by giving one gift to this person and a different gift to the neighbor, contours each congregation. This is to meet the needs and the opportunities in their unique setting. Each of us is gifted, gifted beyond salvation, gifted for service. As Peter writes in his first epistle, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's grace. Which gets us to the third word, frames. They're not ribs. In nautical terms, that's an anachronism for a rigid inflatable boat. That's not what we're doing here. Back in Wisconsin, we framed in white oak, green white oak. Oak that's green as in fresh from the mill, not dried. Oak that still has sap in it, that's still supple, that still remembers that I used to be a tree and I had to sway with the wind, right? It bends. Which brings us to the, some of the magic of boat building, the steam box. Usually a wooden box, but it doesn't have to be. It could be a metal pipe or a plastic tent. Doesn't matter. What you need is an enclosed space into which you can feed live steam from a pot or a tank of boiling water. The frames are milled to the proper dimension. Clamps and pads are made ready, and the kettle is put on to boil. About an hour per cross-sectional square inch. 
And then they're quickly pulled out and jammed into the keel, sockets in the keel. Then they're pushed and pulled and clamped and stomped and up against the ribbons. Now that may sound a little violent, but I got worse news for you. <laughs> you and I are the frames. <laughs> We're the ones getting pushed and stomped and pushed into place. In building the ark of the church, if Christ is the keel, if the molds and ribbons are the gifts of the spirit, then what better describes us than the frames? Fit into Christ and then shaped by the form, the will of the spirit. And they're beautiful. You look down a, a boat that's been framed, you understand why they call them ribs. It looks like a rib cage. But we, time out, we didn't use that word. But sometimes, this is where the problem is. Sometimes, as we try to force that hot, wet frame into place, it cracks. Maybe it wasn't in the steam box long enough. Maybe we were too slow getting it out of there and into where it's supposed to go, and it cooled too much on the way. In the arc of the church, we crack as well sometimes. Not spending enough time or diligence in the word or receiving the means of grace. The Lord's Supper and the words of holy absolution. We need to hear you are forgiven on a regular basis. Sometimes we go, grow cool and we crack. It becomes even faster and deeper and the damage seems more irreparable. That's what we need the care and the comfort, the encouragement of others in the ark. A single cracked frame will not sink the boat as long as the neighbors are still intact. But there's a bigger problem. Some frames come out of the steam box and quite frankly, they have a mind of their own. You can twist it this way and that way and it simply will not lay flat against the ribbons. There's a kink or a hard spot in the grain and it's just not gonna do what you need it to do. And here we put our finger on the problem in Corinth. They were parading their gift as the best especially the gift of tongues that set them apart. We can stumble here as well. It doesn't have to be tongues. Any place where the frames stand proud, where the spirit-given shape is distorted, the gift and the gifted becomes more important than the shape of the hull. In a question and answer session after one of his lectures, C.S. Lewis was asked, which of the world's religion gives its followers the greatest happiness. Lewis paused, thought about it for a moment, then he said, well, while it lasts, the religion of worshiping oneself is best. Paul addresses the same thing in verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Well, enough of the problems with framing. Back to bow building. The goal for us as frames, is to conform exactly to the gifts of the Spirit, to lie true to the contours of the ribbons, not jealous or proud, each station, each frame, a little or a lot different. What matters is our being socketed into the keel to Christ and utilizing our gifts, our Spirit-given shape, because we support the fourth boat building word, planking. The first to go in is called the garboard. It fits down there right next to the keel. And as you move up the hull, the hood ends of the planks still connect to the center line, but mostly now they're connecting to the frames. That's, that's you and I. One by one, the rib ends come off and the final shape of the hull becomes apparent. If the steam box is the magic of boat building, planking is the art. 
The curved lines of the planking seams appeared to sweep upward to the bow, but actually, when they're on the bench, when they're on the flat, before they're bent in the shape, they actually bend the other way. The shape is lifted from the adjacent plank by spiling and transferred to the stock with brads and battens, but I'm sorry, that's way too much to tell you about, unless we have to go out in the shop and get dirty to see that one. But for our purposes, within the context of this extended metaphor of boat building, we find the planks located in verse 16, which reads literally, for if you bless in spirit, how will the person who fills the role of the outsider say the amen to your thanksgiving? If the keel is Christ, if the molds and ribbons are the gifts of the spirit, and we are the frames, the outsider, the one who stands in the place of the outsider is the planking. God is not building this ark just to make us better Christians. He wishes to extend his kingdom, his reign. And what becomes immediately apparent is the necessity of the right use of gifts. Earlier in 14, if even lifeless instruments, such as a flute or a harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? How can planking, the outsider, be joined to the ark of the church unless each of us fills his or her role? exercises the gifts. Which brings us back to what is really our theme verse, 19. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. The word to instruct in Greek is katekeo, to catechize, to instruct in the faith. We need to be lifelong learners. It's a picture of a healthy church, a seaworthy boat. John Stott wrote, the most important gift today, measured by Paul's principle that we should excel in what builds up the church, is teaching. Nothing builds up the church like truth. And we desperately need more Christian teachers all over the world. So what, four words down, one to go. It's actually not a nautical word, or exclusively nautical. Amen. It's the word that Paul wants the outsider to be able to say when he or she comes into our fellowship, when they become a part of the ark of the church. Then, only then, can they affirm our thanksgiving. So if we step back for a moment, what do you see? What have we made? Well, a boat, one boat, the ark of the church. It is a unity of confession. No plank or frame out of place. We were baptized into one faith, as Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. There is one body and one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. In the font, you are forgiven. We come to the rail as one church, are kneeling together, shoulder to shoulder, as a visible demonstration of our unity. We're saying, I believe what this church confesses. I'm safe here within the ark of the church. The spirit-given gifts shape the Church of Christ. Its keel is Christ. And with a nudge, it goes down the ways and out into the oceans of the world to serve. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting.